This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always más. You are tuning into Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. This is Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante. Today, we are celebrating our community uniting to end one of the book deserts that engulfs our community. We are talking about the launch of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center's Latino Bookstore in San Antonio, Texas, on 1300 Guadalupe Avenue. This is a big deal because... We have been dedicating our entire movement to making sure that our community has access to our work, our literature. And as we have quantified and dramatized over the two decades of work plus years of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, the Libre Traficantes, our radio show, our book fairs, our workshops, there are forces at work that want to keep the knowledge and the books from our community. We only have to remind you that Arizona right-wing officials banned Mexican-American studies. We united as a community to overturn that discriminatory law. And there's another way as well. If you follow only corporate English, our communities will be sentenced to book deserts. I want you to get your phone, get to your map on your phone, and type in bookstores... San Antonio, Texas. There you'll get the visual representation of how the corporate world creates the borders that lead to book deserts. Because what will appear on screen is the fact that there are several bookstores on the north side of San Antonio. That's where you're going to find them. There'll be many dots. Once you get to the west side, south of I-10, zero. And that's where our community lives. We're happy to say that the Guadalupe's Latino Bookstore will be addressing that. So today we're going to talk to Cristina Bailly, the director of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center, who is the vision behind the infrastructure making this happen. I'm proud to say that I will be the literary curator for the new bookstore. More than anything, let's get something clear. This is not your typical corporate commercial venture. We are building this on community cultural capital and we're approaching it that way. And we want to make sure that every work, all the curated titles in that collection will speak to community cultural capital, the history and legacy of the Guadalupe. And we're going to focus on Texas Latino authors, Mexican-American studies, Chicano scholars, and icons. But more than anything, we're taking what was once a book desert and we're going to make it a travel destination that celebrates our gente's voice. That part of town now is formerly an arts district. And this bookstore will also be an official statewide visitor center. Many, many exciting changes. All of this based on art, culture, and community. Because that's what we do. We're going to be talking to one of the authors who are part of the lineup. And that author is Dr. Roberto Simpli Rodriguez. He has a new book called 
Writing for 50 Years, Más o Menos Among the Gringos, published by Aslan Libre Press in San Antonio, Texas. If you attend that first event or you're Googling us in the future because this is a historic moment, you're going to see that our lineup for that kickoff on October 1st, 6.30 p.m., right in the green space. Of course, in the future, when we have cured the COVID-19 epidemic completely, you'll remember that we had to conduct socially distant events and follow CDC rules to try and stem this pandemic that has resurfaced. Luckily, if you enjoy the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Complex and campus, this is right across the street from the Teatro, right on the same side of the street and on, right outside the building of the Latino Bookstore in the Progreso building. And what's beautiful is there's a community stage outdoors. There's actually a, several other nonprofit organizations and community organizations around it. And it's a really wonderful way to celebrate this launch. We're going to have the following writers with us. The Madrina for the bookstore, Texas Poet Laureate Carmen Tafoya will be launching her book, The Last Butterfly, published by Flower Song Press from the Rio Grande Valley. We're also going to have the padrino for the bookstore, Dr. Tomas Ibarra Frausto, and we'll be celebrating his book from the Hispanic Heritage Series from Arte Publico Press, Volume 7, which he co-edited. And we are also waiting to confirm by the time you hear this in the future, you'll know if he was able to show up for all the events. Max Baca, he's got a book called Crossing Borders, My Journey in Music. Of course, you know him from the Tex Maniacs. The Tex Maniacs rock. Now we get to hear the story behind the music. And this is just the tip of the pyramid. You'll unearth more of our cultura through this. So please stay tuned. We'll have more specials on this moment and this endeavor we hope you will support it. You are tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having Their Say. We're on many platforms, including KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, Texas, your community station, and of course, all social media platforms. And guess what? In person, because we get to the people. And speaking of the people, I want to thank Rodrigo Bravo, who mixes our shows brilliantly, and our deep list of volunteers, including Roxana Guzman, who helps us with social media and some of our other platform broadcasts, including some of our StreamYard events. Stay tuned. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. This is Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante, with a new title, Literary Curator. And we are doing a multi-platform broadcast for Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having Their Say, as we talk to the director of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center, 
Cristina Bahí. Well, first of all, ¿cómo estás, Cristina? Muy bien, muy bien, Tony. Thank you for having me here, and thank you for coming to work with us on this fun and exciting project. Well, you're giving away some of the surprise, but let's let's not let's not tease people for too long, because this is a big deal. You, as the director of the Guadalupe, are entering this new project in order to eliminate one of the many book deserts that engulfs our communities. We could just name any city, any city that has a large Latino population, which is most of, most of them, they are all engulfed by book deserts. We're about to address one of those. And I think it's going to be in a way that will be followed to address all the book deserts throughout the Southwest and the country. So, Christina, as the director of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center, why don't you share this amazing news with, with, our, with our audience? Yes, the amazing news is that the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center is about to open a Latino bookstore. And this is going to be in the heart of San Antonio, the heart, the west side of San Antonio, which um, is a historic district. And now officially, as of last week, is also a, an official cultural distri district as designated by Texas Commission on the Arts. And right at the epicenter of that, right at the very, very center of that cultural district is going to be this Latino bookstore. That, that is so amazing. And I want to give folks who are in the audience right now, I want to give you a little homework. Get Pick up your iPhone, not a commercial for any products here. <laughs> pick up your iPhone. I want you to go to your maps and type in Bookstores San Antonio. When that comes up, <laughs> you're going to see with your own eyes that all of those bookstores exist north of I-10. If you look right there around I-35, you're going to see the public library. Beneath I-10 and to the west, there are no bookstores. You are looking at a book desert. And I want to give you some of the details so you can experience this wonderful new Latino bookstore in the heart of San Antonio's community. But I also want you to understand one thing. If we continue to follow the models of the corporate publishing industry or the corporate bookstore industry, we are relegated to book deserts for the rest of time. So we've got to change that. And one way to do it is for the folks that can to spread the word. And also we need to start Latino family libraries on October 1st. And that means either you show up and attend this wonderful event or you become the cool tia or tío that buys all the nephews great books, or you start spreading it on social media. So before we get too deep into it, Christina, let's talk about this launch event, which is exciting. So there's the ribbon cutting Friday, October 1st at 1 p.m. And then there's the big launch, 6.30 p.m. in the Parquecito, just a short walk from the Latino bookstore um, where we'll actually have all of our products including a gift shop so tell folks how tell folks a little bit about what the ribbon cutting is going to look like and then we'll brag about the book side 
That's right. Yeah, we're going to um, open this up to the public on October 1st at 1 p.m. That's going to be in our nice little ribbon cutting, you know, where we're going to have a lot of our representatives in the areas, you know, our elected officials and our uh, the Chamber of Commerce and, you know, all our friends um, that are going to come and an opportunity for the media to come out and ask questions on the bookstore. And we'll have an open house from 1 to 5 p.m. And we'll have, you know, some drinks, some refreshments, and people can peruse the store. Now, the big event, now in the evening, we're going to have like the big launch and the, the big event in the evening, of course, so that people can come out after work at 6.30 p.m., um, we're going to have our lunch and I'm going to talk a little bit about our lunch, our lunch event and who we're going to feature. Of course, we're going to feature authors and writers. Uh, and we have a very special madrina and padrino for the bookstore that are giving us, you know, their uh, spiritual and intellectual blessing for this project because they're highly esteemed members of the Chicano cultural community. And that is Carmen Tafoya and Dr. Tomasi Barra Frausto. You know, so we're very lucky that San Antonio has a quite a well of uh, Chicano intelligentsia, you know, that's here uh, locally available to us, you know, and they, and um, uh, uh, Carmen and uh, Tomas have been, you know, just leaders and pioneers, you know, in the intellectual community. So they're going to um, bless us with their presence, you know, and uh, they're serving as advisors for us. Um, and they're going to do a reading, you know, and a presentation. Uh, Carmen has a new book that's coming out. I'm going to let you, Tony, talk about that. Uh, and then we're also going to have other special guests. Um, one is going to be Dr. Roberto Sintli Rodriguez, um, because he is having a national launch of his book through Atslan Libre Press. And, um, and that book will be launched on October 1st. And that just happened to be a coincidence that uh, uh, Juan and Anissa, who are the owners of Aslan Libre Press, and that is Juan Tejeda, who has a long relationship with the, with the Guadalupe. He is part of the familia at the Guadalupe. As everybody knows, uh, Juan Tejeda is the founder of the Tejano Conjunto Festival. Um, he is also a literary arts uh, aficionado, and him and his wife started an independent press, and they happen to be doing their launch of their latest book uh, by Dr. Roberto Sintli Rodriguez on October 1st. So we're going to have that launch here at our bookstore. Um, and uh, Dr. Rodriguez Sintli will be present with us and he'll be doing a reading for us. Um, also, we'll, be, we'll have on hand um, and yet to be uh, confirmed on the appearances, but you know, this just gives an example of the mishmash of cultura that we have going on at the Guadalupe. Uh, also, a good friend of ours, Max Baca, who is a well-known bajista with a group, Los Tex Maniacs, with a conjunto group, he just came out with an autobiography from New Mexico Press. So we're going to have his book available, too, and hopefully he's going to be able to come make it out for a signing. Um, we're working on some details on the scheduling because if he's not here on Saturday, uh, on Friday, he'll be here on Saturday for sure. So but that just those are going to be the books that we're going to feature at 
our launch. And like Tony said, you know, dealing with um, our still our ongoing COVID realities, we do have a uh, an area right next to the building which actually belongs to Avenida Guadalupe, who are good partners of ours. Avenida Guadalupe are right next door to us. They own a lot of the real estate right next door to us, including the Plaza Guadalupe. Um, and so the, the launch is going to be in the courtyard area of the Promesa building, uh, which is an office complex. But it's right there, right next to our building, which is 1300 Guadalupe. So we're going to have a nice little event there, you know, nice little literary event. The weather should be nice at that time. Uh, at that time of evening, it should be very nice. So it's going to be lovely. And we're going to invite people to come out and celebrate the opening of a Latino bookstore, you know, not just in San Antonio, but in the entire state of Texas. Right, Tony? Yes. And I think that I wanted to keep it a little mysterious because there are book deserts in every major Texas city. Uh, I may be in Houston. We have our own book deserts for our community. So this is what I want our audience to understand. If we continue to follow the corporate models of selling books, publishing books, we will be condemned to book deserts. Now, this bookstore is built on community cultural capital. And that first lineup that you mentioned is an example of that. So here's how we need you to think about this event, this bookstore, and our, our legacy between all of us. So so again, first, when you think about a bookstore, you might not realize the, the community relationships. And in fact, I'll say one thing, stores are in business competition with each other. So first, I want to put this out here that the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center's Latino Bookstore is not in competition with all the other different venues for literature in San Antonio because you have the San Antonio Book Festival, you have the San Antonio Library. We're meeting with all of those folks to develop the ecosystem because we have to work together, not just to survive, but to thrive for the community. The other thing I want to point out too, si ustedes no viven in San Antonio, you know, gente in Dallas, no se pongan celosos, Houstonians, no se pongan celosos. This is going to be a destination spot. So beginning in 2022, I'm really excited to be the literary curator for the Latino Bookstore at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center because we're going to have an amazing author series where every month we're going to focus on a Texas Latino author from everywhere. The Valley, uh, El Paso, um, Corpus Christi, and that's going to kind of drive the curated books at that time because that's different than your big box bookstore or your online bookstore. Here, we're curating books that reveal the deep cultural history of Texas Latinos, Mexican American studies, Chicano scholars, and icons. And of course, that crosses all sorts of different borders and communities. Like Christina mentioned, too, this is a big deal because we are also going to be an official arts district and a, an official visitor center. Uh, can you tell folks a little bit about what that means? Yes. You know, there's just so many good things happening all at once, um, even in the midst of such a difficult, you know, so, such difficult times for all of us, just such difficult historical times. Um 
But uh, we got the good news last week that the Texas Commission on the Arts approved the official designation uh, for the West Side Cultural District in San Antonio. Um, so many people know, if you're familiar with Guadalupe, you know, we have lots of cultural organizations right there in our vicinity. Uh, a few blocks um, east of us, we have Rinconcito de Esperanza that is run by the Esperanza Peace and Justice Center. Um, and then a few blocks uh, west of us, we have Sananto Cultural Arts, which is the leader in all the murals and all the west side of San Antonio and does youth after school programs. Um, to the south of us, we now have our brand new neighbors, uh, say C, uh, who are uh, coming, who just came into our neighborhood. And then on the northernmost edge, we have NALAC, the National Association of Latino Arts and Culture. And then, of course, in between, we have uh, lots of partners. We have Avenida Guadalupe, which is next door to us. And um, they operate the Plaza de Guadalupe. Um, and uh, they put on lots of events, you know, throughout the year, like a big 16 de septiembre parade, and uh, they used to host Una Noche en la Gloria. Um, so we have a lot, and then of course we have a lot of our little businesses, you know, our panaderias, Linda's Mexican restaurant, you know, all our little cultural businesses in the area. So we just got official designation last week as a cultural district. Oh, and of course, the Guadalupe Theater, uh, right? The Guadalupe Theater is right across the street from what will be the Guadalupe uh, Bookstore, Latino Bookstore, gift shop, community gallery, and visitor center. So our, let me tell you a little bit about this building, actually, that you're seeing here in the frame. Thank you, Tony, for putting that up. This will be the bookstore and community gallery and visitor center. Um, this is a historic building. It's the old Progreso Pharmacy building. Uh, people from San Antonio will recognize it as such. It's an old part. People still call it the pharmacy, the Progreso Pharmacy. Um, this was renovated uh, just, we finished last summer with city bond funding, uh, from bond funding from 2012 and 2017. And we just finished the renovations. So we're opening this up as our bookstore and uh, community gallery and visitor center. So this will be the place, this is the epicenter of the cultural district with the theater right across the street. Um, and then on the other uh, street, across the other street is actually an elementary school. So we're so proud of opening up a bookstore right across the street from an elementary school. That's great. And again, you have to really think differently about culture, books, and art. Because this is a campus. So for example, if you go to the Teatro, the Grupo Cultural Arts uh, Teatro, which you're accustomed to, we need you to spread the word and get people to think that they're visiting one part of the campus, but don't forget to go across the street to the bookstore and gift shop and anywhere else in the plaza, maybe some other events. Talking about the lineup, I want people to understand how this is going to work from now on. We are celebrating the national launch of Dr. Sidley's book, published in San Antonio by Aslan Libre Press and Juan Tejeda and his wife. But this book covers 50 years of Dr. Sidley's work. And of course, Dr. Sidley is from Arizona in Tucson. And of course, his was one of the books that was on the 
beautiful mixed American studies curriculum that was banned by legislators in Arizona. It was unjustly banned. Now, I'm telling you about this because as a Libertad Ficante, we gathered Houston community culture capital to defy that ban. We organized Libertad Ficante Caravan to smuggle back into Tucson that book, among others. We teamed up with Gente de San Antonio. We teamed up with Gente across the state, And all of us united to overturn that ban. Here's why it's important. I'm really happy that the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center's Latino Bookstore is going to make me an honest man, okay? We got really good at smuggling books. However, those books need to be easily accessible for our community, and they will be. So who's teaming up for this kickoff? Houston is teaming up. Libertraficantes are giving their expertise as consultants and literary curators for the Latino Bookstore. San Antonio Legacy. I tell you what, the different branches of art at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center, they run four decades deep at least. Asa Libre Press in San Antonio. And then also all the folks that united to overturn that ban of our community in uh, uh, by Arizona legislators. And then Dr. Sidley, he's coming in from Tucson. That's, that's the kind of forces uniting for this launch on October 1st. And again, with our madrina, Carmen Tafoya, Texas Poet Laureate. We're going to have Maya, whose illustrations are in the book, have an art exhibit. And we're going to find sponsors to donate classroom sets of 25 of her book, The Last Butterfly, which is published by Flower Song Press in the Valley. And again, throughout the year, we're going to be celebrating all parts of Texas. So this is really exciting. We hope you can join us. If it's really complicated, it's that simple. Show up, send folks October 1st to begin or replenish their family library. Christina, any parting words? And thank you for getting the Guadalupe through the rocky upheaval of the COVID-19 shutdown, through this new etapa of the COVID-19 epidemic, but by helping us all come together to address this book desert in San Antonio. You know, and it's a book desert, and uh, but not a cultural desert, right? We know that we have lots of culture in our neighborhoods, and we just want to make sure that that culture stays there, and that it's that it's always feeding on itself. Um, just, I just want to quickly um, let everybody know too that. Uh, that's right. We do a lot of things at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. You know, we do cover all the arts disciplines. And one of the big ones that we're known for is our Ballet Folklorico. Uh, we do have our Guadalupe Dance Company, which is a professional dance company that is celebrating its 30th anniversary. So to commemorate the occasion, they're also going to have a big show outside also on October 1st at 8 p.m. And it's gonna be outside at the Plaza Guadalupe, not in the theater, you know, due to COVID, we're moving it outside to try to keep everybody as safe as possible. Um, and that show will be streamed online. It will be streamed live. So that's gonna be fun. Uh, so it's gonna be a live show that people can attend in person you know, people can purchase their tickets on our website or they can purchase a streaming ticket. So if you're not in San Antonio that weekend, if you can't be in San Antonio, um, you can still watch it streamed online and visit our website for information on everything, uh, guadalupeculturalarts.org. Thank you so much, Cristina. We're very happy to celebrate the new Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center Latino Bookstore. Thanks for all that you do and we got to unite.
tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having Their Say. This is Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante. We're really happy to welcome, as we talk about the national launch of his latest book, which covers five decades of intellectual work and activism, and as we celebrate the launch of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center's Latino Bookstore, ending that book desert that engulfs our community, Please welcome Dr. Roberto Sintley Rodriguez. Roberto, how are you? Un grande abrazo. Yeah, well, I'm doing pretty good. You know, nowadays I live in Mexico, but I was called to a conference or invited to a conference in the state of Utah. And so I'm here now in the U.S. That's fantastic. Tell us a little bit about that conference. The conference, well, basically it's about my book. Uh, our sacred maiz is our mother. They were going to be doing this exhibit. Um, one of the art galleries here, one of the conferences and, and the university, they uh, wanted to do something on maiz. And so they went through books and books and they said that uh, out of all the books, they read mine and said, hey, let's invite the author here because it matched everything that they wanted to do. You know, I, I have a long history with Utah regarding my research. Because when Patricia, my ex-wife, and I, years ago, you know, we, we did research on origins and migrations. And it brought us uh, all about over 200 maps showed that Salt Lake was the point of origin. And we, we never made that official conclusion because that's not how you really do research. But if somebody else wanted to do that conclusion, they could. That is, th there was over 200 maps from the 1500s through the 1800s. You know, first Utah, and then the later, the late, well, the oldest match shows Salt Lake. And uh, anyway, so a lot of people here, of course, know about that research. Some of them do make that conclusion. But I mean, I, you know, it, it would not be, at least not in this way. I think I'll, I'll go back to that research and, uh, and say, okay, I, I, I'm very confident this is it. But right now I couldn't do that. Uh, but partly too with my research, what I did is uh, an elder, you know, because we did 12 years of research. And when a, an elder went time, because we used to visit elders everywhere, and I told his elder, or this elder told me that, uh, he says, hey, are you looking for where the Aztecs came from or where you came from? And nobody had ever asked me that, because I, I was looking at a map that said, Antigua Residencia de los Aztecas. And the older map said, desde aquí salieron los indios mexicanos para fundar su imperio that the ancient Mexican Indians left the Salt Lake region to found their empire. So when he asked me that, I said, you know, nobody's ever asked me. I never, I was never looking for a sign. I was trying to figure out what the map was about, what all the maps were about. But now that you asked, I said, I bet you the real reason is yes. I'm trying to figure out where I came from. And he said, that's what I thought. And he says, if you want to know who you are, you're not going to find that on a map. So forget the maps. If you want to know who you are, follow the corn, <laughs> follow the maize. And that's what I did. So, I, you know, we went back to school. I got a master's PhD and then my book, you know. So it was a long process. And it was awesome, exciting, exhilarating, you know, doing all this travel, research, archives, going to archaeological sites, meeting with elders. It was awesome. Um, anyway, so. That's awesome. I, yeah. And they, so here, you know, they picked up that book and said, no, we got to bring it. Because for me, the story of Maiz was like a lot bigger than the story of Aslan. 
because Aslan would actually go to the people known as Mexica or seven tribes and the Aztecs and all that. The story of Maiz is literally the entire continent, you know? So in that sense, it touches the people of Guatemala, it touches the Hopi, it touches the people from Peru, you know, the Andes and on and on, the whole continent, and including the islands. So, yeah, so for me, uh, that's, that's pretty much the story and why they brought me here. I'm going to resist diving into that because that is exciting. You're, you're basically breaking down how the charts are documented history by those mm-hmm. who run things, governments, etc. The corn, yeah. <laughs> it respects no borders. <laughs> and and it, it's there where the gente yeah. are eating and living. But let's not go there because that's only mm-hmm. one decade of the five decades <laughs> yeah. you write about. And I want to take editorial privilege here. Because everyone's going to get to experience the the awesome book giving mm-hmm. highlights of your half a century of research and activism. However, I do want to remind folks of our relationship with Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, your work, the gente de Tucson, because this new Latino bookstore, just like your original research, isn't about the status quo. This bookstore yeah. is not created around corporate consumer tactics this is community cultural capital so i want to give a shout out because i remember you showed some of those maps when nuestra palabra was still convening at chapultepec party hall here in houston texas that had to be maybe two decades ago because nuestra palabra is going on 24 years old so it might have been three decades ago because that was (laughs) way back it might have been in the 90s that's exciting that's exciting because that's how long you've been in the game We've been touching people. And the other thing I'd like to bring up is that as we celebrate your new book in a, in a focus that is community, in a space that's community, I want to remind folks that your works were among those that were part of the brilliant Mexican-American Studies curriculum that was banned by yes. right-wing Arizona officials. And again, people sometimes wonder why Nuestra Palabra became Libro Traficantes. They were, mm-hmm. officials were attacking our familia because we've known you for a long time. And yeah. we knew what you were about. The the insults that were buried into the law, um, threatening to overthrow the government, not true. Creating courses that offend, that offend certain people, not true. That was not the case with your work. Tell us a little bit about your origins and your work in Tucson, Arizona, because you were part yeah, of that yeah. brilliant curriculum. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I wrote two books. Um, I actually had written about five or so, plus a video, but and all of that was banned. But two of the books, The Ex and La Raza and Codex Tamanchan on Becoming Human, both of those were banned the year before the big ban. Um, <laughs> Sean, Sean, the director... Uh, you know, he, you know, he used to love my work. Well, he still does, but I'm saying he used to love the work and he used to tell me, you know what, we ran out of books and we need more. We need a whole set for the whole department. And so I think he ended up ordering like 300 and 300. And in the middle of that process, that's when they banned it. And they said that, no, this book cannot be in our classrooms. And so all of a sudden 300 books were stuck at the warehouse. Um, and, uh, I think there's even still a few left, like around 50, maybe, maybe, uh, anyway. So the point being is that, um, they were already having these rumblings about that, uh, they, they found material objectionable. One of the books actually had the story of the maps and all that. 
because I think that was at the beginning of that process. Uh, anyway, so those two bo books were banned. And then later, when all the other books were banned the year after, that included like um, my other books. I think Just as a Question of Race was one of them. Um, I don't, again, I don't remember all of them right now. But, oh, well, uh, me and uh, Patricia had a book called uh, Gonzalez Rodriguez, uh, un Uncensored and something or other. Oh, you could tell it was censored. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so that, then we had a video, uh, Emotionally Sansetohuan, and that one was about the, um, what's it called? Well, actually the same topic of origins and migration, but we hadn't made the bigger connection just yet uh, regarding uh, maize. And actually, you know, Patricia uh, uh, had a different emphasis. You know, we both had our own emphasis. We did joint research, but she, her emphasis was medicine, uh, traditional medicine, you know, American Indian, Mexican traditional medicine, and mine ended up being maize. So anyway, so that's what we were doing at that time. She produced wow. her own book, uh, and that one was banned too, uh, The Mud People. And that was a social justice book on the struggles in Mexico and all that. Anyway, so that, that was pretty much my relation, that, that, that I had a great relationship with the with the teachers, with the directors, they would use our books. In fact, they would use our column because we would write a national, you know, a weekly syndicated column and the teachers would use our column, you know, in the classroom. So when the, all that happened, of course, we were pretty much implicated. We, we were professors at the University of Arizona. So that's, uh, uh, you know, that wasn't the, the district. You know, we weren't part of the district. However, every student from their very super successful program would come to us, you know. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we, of course, were teaching their former students. And so that's how, you know, we were involved. You probably know this. I got arrested with 15 people. I think 13 of them were students. And, um, yeah, so um, that was, I mean, you know, to me, the students were willing to risk their careers. You know, they were little kids, you know, they're middle mm -hmm. school, high school college and i said well if they're willing to do that so am i and uh and i was actually more concerned for for their safety you know because i mm -hmm. said well i mean i if, if they're gonna do something to them because it was like a sit-in you know i said if they're gonna sit in in fact i'll just be brief about this but there was about 40 students middle students that were going to get arrested but the lawyers chased them out says no they're going to take you from your parents they're not going to arrest you they're going to take you from your mm. parents and um anyway so um, yeah, you know, um, give me, I was going to say, give me a second, but no, um, anyway, so, um, uh, so the kids left and then four of them came back up and the lawyers again told them, I said, no, you can't be here. And I said, we don't care. I said, we're going to defend our own program, you know, and wow, <laughs> those students were, and those, these were middle school students. So you could imagine middle school, high school, and then of course, college, the college students were, they were more like advisors, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So the struggle was really led by middle and high school students. It was awesome. Yeah. That's a lot powerful. Of them, I know one of them. I know one of them, Luis. Uh, he's already a, a professor at Cornell. Wow. I think it's Cornell. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I remember him. Uh, and never all of them have gone on to do something. That is so powerful. Now, I want to just raise a few points yeah. that we can't delve into because I want people to appreciate how important it is that we're celebrating the national launch of your new book so your voice was not mm -hmm. silenced even though we've had governmental attempts to do that and and also 
I want to point out other ways that are not as directly, um, um, they're not direct attacks, but still as sinister that are ways to keep our community away from their books so that people can appreciate when you come launch October 1st, the the Guadalupe's Latino books are why it's so important. So you've touched on, you you cross many borders. You're talking Mexico, Utah, Tucson. That's one thing. Secondly, uh, in the amount of time you've conducted that research, people can get several PhDs. I point that out too because even our educational systems are not even profoundly built to to pro- profoundly understand our people. Here's the another thing I want to point out. You just mentioned that Arizona right-wing officials banned our history and culture, and we've talked about that. We know about that, and, and we could talk several shows about that. We're not going to because here's the last point I want to bring up. San Antonio is our community in San Antonio suffering from a book desert. It's engulfed in a book desert. Corporate policies sentence us to book deserts. There seems to be an active movement to make sure that our community is kept from its history, culture, and literature. Is that the case in oh, your no. opinion? Yes. No, absolutely. You know, it, it's kind of sad because you would think education is what we want. You know, we want kids to know and to be um to have as much knowledge as possible and you know it's like we were living in africa say we were living in india or asia you know china for example you know i think we would expect to know the history of like that continent you know even a country right you would you would expect that would be um basic you know like hey this continent has been around for thousands and thousands of years uh, why don't we know a little bit about that? You know, I, even my students in college at the university, I ask them, for example, uh, name me five cities from this continent prior to Columbus. I'm lucky to get one, sometimes two. You know, they'll say, oh, they don't speak land, you know? And I say, what about anywhere else? And some of them might say Akuma. Some of them might say um, Oribe, you know? And, then, and that's about it at the most, you know? And I'm thinking, you know, this city, this continent had over 50,000 cities. And we don't even know the names, much less their actual stories. Now, of course, the biggest story, bigger story is Maiz. But the point being is that exactly what you said is exactly what happens. They don't want us to know. It's like nothing was here except savages in an empty continent. Mm. And, and, and so that's what they want us to teach. You know, one thing that I think got by a lot of people is that they were okay if the history of, of Raza was taught 1492 to the present. What they objected to is prior to 1492. They were like, that's not your history. That's native history. That's indigenous history. Even our three-year-olds were like, you know, they knew, you know, we know we're from here. We're, we got thousands and thousands of years of history. And yet, instead of, uh, what did they say? Instead, instead of uh, our students, I was going to say our site, I guess it was our site. I mean, we didn't accept that. You know, we didn't accept the idea of Columbus starting, you know, or like a war or an invasion being the beginning of our history. Like, you know, we perceived that by thousands of years. And that's what they objected to. Because, you know, that, of course, implies indigenous beliefs, thoughts, philosophy, etc. And um, they objected to that. They wanted us, again, they wanted us to be the founding fathers and maybe pilgrims you know but anything else they didn't want that brings us to your new book 
50 years, más o menos, of writing amongst the gringos. It's about 49.5 years, that's why it's not so many. You've kind of given us some of the insights and sensibility you bring to the table. How, were, how did you pick what to focus on? Well, you're going to laugh right now because sitting next to me is the person who actually chose the, the material. Now, I'll, I'll be brief, and then I, if, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll put her on. Excellent. And I can explain. Okay, so what happens is that, you know, I've probably written several thousand pieces, you know, of columns, articles, I mean, everything, all kinds of writing, interviews, reporting, all that. And, uh, you know, because I'm a professor at the time, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a emeritus professor now. That, that is, I retired so I could write more. Anyway, <laughs> so at the time, you know, I'm doing professor things, like teaching and writing more. And I had a, a, about two other books that I was working on. So I asked a friend and colleague if, if maybe if she had time, if she could uh, choose the material for the book. She had already translated my Maiz book, you know, and then she was working on my other book, the Yorkie book. And I asked her if uh, maybe she would consider it. And I said, look, whatever you choose is fine with me. I, I don't have any, you know, I'm not going to tell you yes or no. I said, if anything, it'll be between you and the publisher. And, you know, you two can work that out. But I mean, I, I don't want to tell you that yes or no. Anyway, so again, her name's Tanya Pacheco, and she's next to me, and maybe she could say a couple of words. That'd be and, great. <laughs> shorter words, she'll send it back to me, but uh, hold on one second. Right? Perfect. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. And Thank you so much. I can't imagine how hard it was to decide what to include from a trajectory that's over five decades. So how, how did you approach this this challenge oh my god yes it was a beautiful experience a lot of beautiful knowledge and wisdom and personally i just dove right deep in to all his writings um fiction non-fiction educational not educational and then i personally picked more like bibliography so it's like more his story and celebration of his whole life mm. the writing and personally me and the publisher was like more educational more like the knowledge that we need now so it's a beautiful mix of both but to me personally it's a celebration of his life and bibliography and all his writing it's really beautiful I'm now, very honored we've we've talked to uh roberto extensively over the history of nuestra palabra latino writers having their say and some folks who are listening they're going to go to the books just because Arizona officials banned some of it. So they want to defy Arizona. <laughs> and, uh, yes. you know, a lot of Tejanos are familiar with our hermano. Uh, but someone just yeah. listening and, and debating like, hmm, why, why should I dive into that book? What do you think is so special about Roberto's work? I believe his experience, because he has a lot of, like, experience. He's not just, like, um, just writer. Um, his personal experience from L.A., his personal experience from Yolki, and his personal experience from, like, the whole Chicano Aztlan movement, I think that's very, um, very, power very empowering. Um, so I think that was very special to be in this book and all the knowledge. And you're right. He has a lot of... Um, a lot of writings that were banned in Arizona. <laughs> so personally, me, I was like, you need to put all of that in there. <laughs> <laughs> because this book was actually one of the first writings that he was able to pick. 
and make it more his own. Because mm. I know, like, under the U of A professor, like, he has guidelines and stuff. So this is really special for me in a personal kind of um, connection. So it's more like a celebration of all that. The hard work, the good work. That's awesome. The band work, the knowledgeable <laughs> work. And personally, me, I enjoy more like his um, his personal stories. Like with his family, like growing up. He has a really funny story with the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and little, just little stories like that that make it very, very impactful. Well, before we have you hand the mic back to uh, Dr. Sinkley, tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, and your trajectory. And now that you've got a PhD in Dr. Sinkley studies, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> yes. So what I am, I'm more of like a healer. I've done hands-on massaging, um, spirituality, cleansing. And then now with his wisdom and knowledge, I feel like I've mixed it a little bit. So I do more... More native yoga, more native meditation. I include all of the, the struggles, basically. So I plan on taking all his knowledge and wisdom and putting in my own magic with a more healing approach to the aspect. Love it. And that's, that's completely a full picture of the experience. And that's all about community culture capital. Well, thank you so much for your dedication to La Causa, to literature, yeah, thank you so and much all you for do. Your time. By all means. Thank you. Thanks. And here's Roberto. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Okay, I'm back. Very cool. Well, I tell you what, in closing, Roberto, of course, we're familiar with your more recent work where you've been quantifying violence on our community, which is not just the the headline of the day. It goes back decades. Um, Tell us a little about that work because that's probably going to get you banned right now. Of course, there are (laughs) different laws right now where – there, yeah. there are forces at work, again, trying to control what our people learn. They are controlling the classrooms and curriculums. They cannot control everything outside of that. So we're happy to right. get that and information that, to people. But tell us about this era. Well, that, that's the key, that, that independence, you know, independent bookstores, independent publishers, and on and on. Because, you know, when all, you know, you more than anybody knows this, the whole libra, libro traficante idea is that if they ban the books, I go, we still got to get that knowledge out there. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when all that stuff started happening, you know, everything being banned, I said, you know what? We have so many conflicts that it doesn't matter. I'm going to keep writing mm. curriculum. You know, I'm going to write. Oh, and I didn't mention that. This book has uh, about four or five educators that took decade by decade and created curriculum from it. So that's the added bonus to it. And, you know, some of the writers, Angela Valenzuela uh, is one of them. Nice. Did something. Uh, uh, Liliana Saldana did something. Nice. And then we had one other person. Um, well, again, there's a total of about five. Irene Vasquez out of the University of New Mexico. You know, that one's a great story. My colleague and mentor, um, Juan Gomez Quinones, uh, who um, well, Juan published, you know, the other one, <laughs> that is uh, Tejeda, he published his work, you know, Indigenous Quotient. And um, so I asked, he asked me, who of all, everyone that you know, would you want to do your intro? And I said, oh, that's easy. That'd have to be Juan Gomez Quinones, you know? He's my mentor from, mm. all the way from when I first started college. But as you know, he died from COVID. He died um, about about seven months ago, I think. And him and his wife collaborate, you know? So I asked his wife, I said, look, I, you know, it's kind of difficult, but 
I still would want to have his presence in there through you, you know? Mm-hmm. I said, could you do that? And she said, of course, you know? And she she did that. So the intro, you know, the preface is from her. And um, anyway, so the, the whole point of all of this is that, you know, we couldn't uh, permit, you know, for people to... Um, to uh, ban our work. And mm. so, the, again, the idea is that no matter what is going on out there, we still produce the curriculum. If they don't accept the curriculum, you know, one year, well, it's still going to be there like Not five it. years from now, or it might be, you know, um, 10 years from now. We don't know. You know, because you mentioned the, the issue of violence. You have to remember that for me, at least, the violence begins on this continent in 1492. Mm. You know, I st- remember, so I, I almost got killed in 79, right? So I started looking at in both directions. Well, later, the, the other direction. But I said, okay, when did all this stuff start? Because, you know, I had two trials. They lasted seven and a half years. And I had a lot of time to think in those days, you know? So I started researching and went back to, I mean, I lived through the 60s, 70s, that violence in, in East L.A., the killing of Rubén Salazar. But then the, there was a case out of the, in the fifties, uh, the, the bloody, bloody Christmas. If you remember the movie *L.A. Confidential*, the opening sequence is when they're beating, the, you know, they're beating the crap out of Mexicanos in the jail. Mm. That, that's that. So I, I said I kept going back to the forties, zoot suit riots, you know, thirties deportations, lynching, and back and back and back. And I'm like, damn, there isn't a decade where Mexicanos where native peoples, where black peoples are not being killed. In other words, they were being killed everywhere and always, you know? And it was even worse before hmm. because the, the lynchings were for the purpose of taking the land away, you know? And anyway, so for me, now going in the other direction, you know, this, this is like 40 years later. I mean, after Rodney, uh, not Rodney, well, Rodney King too, but Michael Brown, when Michael Brown was killed, uh, all of a sudden, the entire nation started focusing on the topic again, and I started noticing that it was like most everything was pretty much black and white. Everything was black and white, and we decided that, uh, or not, well, yeah, yeah, it was we because a lot of us started to do this to document, you know, all the killings, and then we actually began a project about a year ago, and we're almost ready to release the final um, study. Uh, and it, and well, I think the emphasis for us, we don't want people to think that it's simply about people being killed by police as opposed to you know, this violence and brutality, mm. an overarching uh, brutality that literally suppresses communities, controls communities. And those are the three principal ones, the, the, the Mexican, the, the native and the black communities, you know, pretty much have that same history, that same modern history, you know, from like, say, the World War Two to the present. And, and I think we when we get disappeared you know when when people speak about this have that national conversation that it's like if we don't exist hmm. and the thing is we do exist of course and that's that's what the book is you know, to insist. that is a powerful powerful legacy thank you for all that you do we've been talking to our dear friend Dr. Roberto Sintli Rodriguez, and we are celebrating the national launch of his new book, Writing 50 Years, Más o Menos, Among the Gringos. Thanks for all that you do, hermano.
Pacino. The most winning.